0: we try to sort of come up with like a way to make ourselves look cool and we don't think about how could if somebody were to share my idea or share my concept how could they look cool how could they look interesting Welcome to Monday mornings with Michelle,
1: the new business podcast, whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going
0: to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours, strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey
1: there, peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Michael. Michael, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So give us a 5,000-foot view of who you are and what you love to do.
0: Sure. Um, so I love to help thoughtful givers become thought leaders uh, through the creation of referable brands, often uh, experts who are very, very good at the work that they do end up uh, deprioritizing the packaging of their intellectual property. So what? I love to jump in and help them with that.
1: <laughs> like the children Going without their own shoes like that never happens. I don't know any marketing company, anything, <laughs> right? their own branding. Awesome. So let's have a little fun with this and sure, kind of, what are some of the biggest mistakes you find that people are making when doing their, their branding?
0: Yeah, so I would say probably the biggest one is spending far too much time having a conversation about their expertise and their background, um, as opposed to actually talking about what it is that they're doing for the client. Uh, I would say that's probably one of the biggest ones. Uh, I think we kind of get into uh, that area where it's just like we're 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 trying to convince people or sort of show people, uh, this is all all the stuff I understand. These are all the things I know. Yeah. And we don't necessarily take the time to think about, well, what does this actually do for the person I'm, I'm helping? So that's one of the right. biggest ones that I see.
1: Nice. We will dive into that more and, and a little bit of remind me of the uh, imposter syndrome and why people think they need to <laughs> boast themselves up. But let's back up the bus a little bit. How did you get yeah. into all of this?
0: Yeah, so I started out as a high school English teacher, and uh, I went from being a high school English teacher to becoming a Broadway producer in under two years. Nice. So I had a lot of people. Thank you. Um, So I had a lot of people who were very curious about how I did that. And I started basically just like looking back at kind of my journey and I started teaching networking was sort of the initial phase of all of this, was sort of helping people kind of see like, pull back the curtain on sort of how did I get into all the rooms that I got into. And as I got deeper and deeper into this, I had this realization that while I thought it was just relationship building, while I thought it was just networking that helped me get into all these rooms, it actually was the fact that people would talk about me when I wasn't in the room in a good way. <laughs> and people do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what led to uh, this uh, aspect of researching referability and starting to think about how is it that we get people to talk about our ideas when we're not present? How do we package things so that they're easy to carry, they're easy to share, so that they're actually referable?
1: Awesome. How do you do that?
0: <laughs> so there's a, lot of, there, there's a lot of different elements uh, mm-hmm. and ways to think about it, but the main uh, concept is that there's three main points to creating a referable brand. And that's accessibility, influence, and memory. Uh, so you often want to think about uh, taking aim when it comes to creating a referable brand. So accessibility, influence, and memory. So the first is accessibility, which is always the first hurdle. And that actually ties to what we were talking about earlier, where a lot of the time what happens is we end up in what I like to refer to as the echo chamber of the enlightened, where we're using a lot of the words that our industry uses, and everybody's kind of patting each other on the back. But you go outside of your industry, you go to the average person, and they have no idea what you're talking about usually because it's very sort of jargon-laden, right? It's filled with all the sort of uh, words of your industry. So one of the best things that you can do from an accessibility standpoint is to look at what is the actual transformation that you're providing for the client? How are you actually helping the client? How are you actually serving the client? Because when you're talking in that context, when you're talking to somebody about how you can make a change for them or make a shift for them and support them, that cuts through the noise. It cuts through a lot of the jargon and and a lot of the material that um, keeps people in that sort of echo chamber of the enlightened.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And kind of a left field example, just so that people can kind of hear what you're saying is, so we do Infusionsoft done for you. But if you don't know what Infusionsoft is, you're like, i it <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm talking alien, and you're like I, I don't know what she does for me, but it doesn't feel, you know. And so, you know, we we have to be able to get past that and go on to like assuming they know nothing about technology. Any word that we're going to use about it, you know, what do you do for a company, and how do you do that? So I totally get that when it comes to coaching and and um, providing people with transformations, that there's so many different kind of transitions that they could be having, and I see a lot of. people in the in that industry going well we can help anybody if they have a pulse we can help them even if they don't have a (laughs) pulse sometimes we can help them and it's like I get that (laughs) and so how do you hone in on kind of what what their magic sauce is and how to kind of make that magic sauce different from other people other than the modalities that they're doing?
0: Sure so ultimately it comes down to the aspect of looking at what it is that you're actually doing for the other person through the lens of I I call it sad because if you don't do it at least one of these three things you'll be sad sad and that's solve a problem alleviate pain or decrease friction so we'll start with solve a problem you have to first ask what is a problem that your market is dealing with and how do you actually solve that problem? And when you frame the language around the problem, most people who are dealing with that problem, they're going to get it. And it's going to become pretty specific over time. Uh, Often we talk a lot about the idea of a target market and we spend a lot of time talking about a target market, but we don't spend enough time talking about a target problem. So how can you really dial in what is that issue that people are having so that when they hear it they say oh my god that's me right and if you remember at the very beginning i said this statement about deprioritizing packaging intellectual property putting off that aspect of doing the thing for yourself that you're doing for every you know doing for everybody else and you had that reaction right where you had that moment where you're like oh well you know well, yeah lots of people do that that's kind of where you want to be when you're talking about when you're creating that target uh, that target problem ty- type of scenario so the other aspect though is yes once you got things clear in terms of solving a problem You've got to think about pain because most of us end up buying emotionally. So what is that pain that you're helping to alleviate? What is that issue that they're dealing with, that pain that they're in? And the way that I like to think about this is you want to think about for your client, not just what's the pain, but what's the toothache? And if you've ever had a toothache, if you've ever been just like really having a rough, you know, a rough time, you know, that you go to the dentist, no matter what, like, you don't, you you don't put that off. Like it is just, (laughs) you make you make it happen. And that's what you want to start to think about. You want to think about what is that pain that when somebody hears it, they're like, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm going through. And I need it to be over right now. Can, you know, can you help me, you know, with (laughs) that? Um, and then the last piece is decreasing friction, and that's really taking a look at what are all of the friction points that your client is dealing with. Is something that you're doing for them? Is it going to be saving them time? Do they feel like they're just spending way too much time on something? Does something feel confusing and frustrating and aggravating? And you know, because they they don't understand it and you can help them understand it in a, a in a minute, you know, or two minutes, or you can just take it off of their hands. Right. So if you start to think about it in that way, what you'll notice is you start to continue to sort of narrow down that idea of how you're serving and the transformation that you're creating, which is going to make you stand out from all of the other service providers who are really kind of in that place of, oh, well, I just, I, I do, you know, I help you grow your business, you know, and, and we'll give you these like very general sort of, sort of statements.
1: Nice. I love it. So let's talk about influence. How does somebody create that intentionally?
0: Yeah. So a lot of the time we are presented with the idea that influence is about persuasion. And this is because there's lots of books out there. There's lots of content out there that talk about the idea of use these tools, use these techniques, and you can get people to do things. But true influence is when you do something without me asking you to do it. And the only way you're going to do something without me asking you to do it is if the thing I'm asking for makes you look good. So yeah, (laughs) so most of the time we, we forget, we try to sort of come up with like a way to make ourselves look cool. And we don't think about how could, if somebody were to share my idea or share my concept, how could they look cool? How could they look interesting? And the way that I like to think about this is I call it the magic trick. So if you've ever been to if you've ever been to a party and you've seen a magician, a magician almost always has at least one trick that they can show you the trick and then they can show you exactly how they did it. And what's the very next thing that you end up doing? That you end trick. up going out to a party and showing people that trick and, and acting like the magician. So what we want to do is we want to think about, How could my concept, my idea, my thing make somebody else look better? Now, if we think about this just from a referral standpoint, if I've got target, beautiful language, right, Mm -hmm. that is really useful, really easy to to explain, well, somebody else, when they hear that target problem, is going to say, I know somebody who can help you, and they're going to feel good. so i'm not asking them to make that referral right Mm -hmm. i'm just giving them the tools to be able to make that referral right yeah but even further than that somebody listened to this podcast right Mm -hmm. they're listening to this podcast they're they're listening to the you know these these bits and pieces of things and they hear sad and they sort of latch on to sad and now they're out at a meeting with one of their friends and they're basically like well you know, I heard this podcast where, you know, somebody was talking about this idea of solve a problem, alleviate pain and decrease friction. Are are you doing that for your business? And they're like, the other person's like, no, I I, how does that, how does that work? And now that person looks good. And then they say, where did you learn that? And it circles back to me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Love that. And,
1: (laughs) and I, I think it's a, a, a misconstrued idea, one in the simplicity of it, because a lot of people don't realize that things like acronyms make it so much easier for people to create a visual in their head to be able to hook those ideas onto it. And it's like walking into a house, having the, you know, the three coat hangers <laughs> hang there, and you see the yellow, the red, the brown coat, and you're going, oh, okay, now I got a visual of this, I can carry it around and from here on in. And I feel really bad that people would associate SAD with Michael Roderick. We wanna, let's associate (laughs) AIM with Michael Roderick because, um, and I like the fact that you have a ton of, or a ton of, so far I know you have two of them, um, three letter acronyms because those are so much, they tend to be so much easier to remember.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that actually ties directly into into memory. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less and that's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. Um, so I'll start with language. <laughs> You're so good the re- at this. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the, reason, um, the reason why most of us know who Shakespeare is and only English majors know who Christopher Marlowe is, is the fact that Shakespeare added new words to the English language. If we look in the dictionary, there are words that were literally coined by Shakespeare. So when folks were walking around Stratford-on-Avon talking to each other and using these words, what were people asking? They were saying, well, where did you learn those words? And they were like, well, I went to the Shakespeare play. And it it just grew, right? And when we come up with our own language for things, when we come up with our own ways of saying them, and again, This does not necessarily have to be, I'm coming up with a brand new word. This can literally be me just shifting words around in kind of a quirky, interesting way, or doing things like I'm doing with um, these little statements like sad and aim and and things like that, right? All I'm doing is kind of putting things together in a slightly different way than maybe you you, you might've heard of before. But because I'm creating language, that language then becomes, basically real estate in people's brains. And every single one of us, we have language that we hear that instantly we associate with certain things. So if I say muggle, most people know which world I'm associating to. If I talk about the force, it's the same type of thing, right? So, So when we come up with that, when we come up with our own language, we are actually carving a piece of mental real estate for the people within our world. And we're basically creating something that they'll remember and that they'll use. Nice.
1: I love that. Now, I'm going to guess that the M in AIM was memorable, but I'm not positive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was memory.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, good.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was memory. So you're good at, and, uh, you're is good at this that
1: component the, the M component, I'm assuming? Yes.
0: Yes. Awesome. This, is the, this is the memory component. Yep. Um, so, so we covered language. The next mm-hmm. is emotion mm-hmm. and emotion solidifies memory. And that actually has to do with our primitive, our, our, our primitive brain. Because when we were in the wild, if we experienced something that was dangerous, our brain would have a heightened state of emotion. We'd be freaked out. We'd be, you know, scared whatever the scenario was and then we had to remember exactly where that thing happened we had to remember that a tiger jumped out from behind that tree we had to remember that we got attacked in that town over there right we had to remember those things but the thing is our brains never stopped holding on to that right Mm -hmm. and as a result when we are in heightened states of emotion our brain becomes like a sponge So if I asked somebody, what were you doing last Thursday? They probably couldn't give me a lot of detail, right? Right. They probably kind of struggle with it. But if I said, describe for me in detail what you would consider to be the worst day of your life, most people will be able to pull a lot of detail from that. And the way that I like to think about this, and I think probably one of the easiest examples is you could ask any person who watched the film Titanic, what the opening scenes of Titanic are. Mm-hmm. And very few people can, can give you any sort of very specific uh, image, right? Mm-hmm. But you can ask that same room of people, what image comes into their head when I say I'll never let go And they instantly Mm -hmm. have an image in their head because they were in that heightened state of emotion when it happened. And the thing is, we don't do this enough, right? We don't take the time to think about how am I crafting this language, turning this into something that creates a heightened sense of emotion. So if anybody were listening to this, right? And I talked about the idea of imagining and picturing the worst day of your life. A number of people probably did, Mm -hmm. right? And a number of them had that memory and and all of that stuff sort of coming up for them. So they were instantly emotionally engaged Mm -hmm. in this conversation. And that's what we're not doing enough. Yeah.
1: Which works great if you're, Bringing up that pain point of, you know, think that that was bad, and we can alleviate alleviate it. You know, life doesn't have yep. to be that bad. It doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be that whatever. You don't have to carry that with you. But what about when it comes to, um, well, let let's go with a uh, give, give me an example of a a piece that you've done, kind of the the emotion that you brought up and where you're transitioning to, because I think you can use each emotion, whether it's confusion or happiness or gladness, sadness, yeah. sadness madness,
0: <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> to your advantage. So how do you,
1: how do you yeah. transition those?
0: Yeah. So in, in a lot of cases, and again, you, you don't have to stay with sadness. Like you, you could do, you, you could do happiness. You could do, uh, you could do comedy. You could do quirkiness. Like there's all sorts of different things that will create an emotion right? And it'll create a, an emotional an emotional response. And ideally what you do is you sort of tap into that emotion and then you transition it into what somebody, what you're selling or what you're trying to communicate, right? So I write, I write a daily email and one of the subject lines that I had for one of the re- recent emails was um, the only thing worse than polishing a turd. <laughs> Now, now think about how you're sort of like, you know, like you're kind of laughing about that, right? You know, you're you're kind of laughing about it. You're like, you know, you've got that like imagery, you know, imagery in your head. So what's, what's happening, right? You're, you're emotionally engaged within that, right? So, so that subject line has in many cases probably caused you to open the email, right? Mm -hmm. And want to read and sort of find out what it is. Right. And then I kind of break things. I I talk about the concept. I talk about the idea and then I basically say, you know, well, what is that thing that's worse than polishing a turd and it's using a turd to polish something (laughs) and again, right. You're having this. and, And then I go into the fact that that's actually what a lot of very brilliant subject matter experts end up doing because they use turd language. When it comes to describing this amazing thing that they're doing. Right. They end up with this generic sort of, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess that, I I, I guess that sounds like a transformation. Right. So what's happening now, now the person is thinking and they're Mm -hmm. having that moment of like, am I using? that kind of language. And I have made it very emotional. I made it very visceral <laughs> at, at this point, right? And I'm not doing it. It's not a sadness emotion, right? It's comedy. Like mm-hmm. you're having this chuckle and my guess is you're probably not gonna forget that. Right? right? And <laughs> like, I'm having a chuckle at my
1: own expense because I'm going, oh yeah, I do that.
0: <laughs> right? And, and so that's the thing. And, and when we are creating content, when we are sharing our stories, when we're doing a talk or a presentation, we have to look and ask: Am I engaging the emotions anywhere within this within this conversation? Yeah. You know, um, and you'd ask for um, you'd ask for an example um, that you know of, of something that that happened. I remember doing a talk of, where I covered this topic of emotion, and at the time, I. Um, I, I had lost—I had lost my mother to to cancer, um, and I was literally coming back from that experience, and I had that talk right after, um, basically leaving um, leaving my mom and and having having her pass away, and I told that story to the—I told that story to to the audience, and I basically said to the audience. And if you're currently feeling this right now, because you've went through the loss of a loved one, you can see how this applies. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, so, I, so I, I tapped into that thing to, to show how this can be illustrated. And when we're doing talks, presentations, bringing our lives in, telling people our own stories is a way to emotionally connect with the audience and they will remember that. Right, they will think about that, and that's a really, really powerful tool. That again, we have to look back and look at our stuff and say, "Am I infusing any emotion into this? Because if I'm not, I'm I'm missing out on a major tool when it comes to memory." Nice,
1: love it. So, give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients.
0: Sure. Uh, so, I had uh, I had one client who uh, was working in the in the speaking. Uh, space. And a lot of the time when you're doing any kind of sort of speaking, uh, speaking offering, it's already a pretty crowded, it's already a pretty crowded environment. And uh, she was putting together a gathering, she was putting together um, sort of one of these programs. And basically, there are lots of programs that will teach you to sort of go through and become a speaker right? And sort of mm-hmm. be known as this, like, you know, be known as this top sp- speaker and, you know, all of those different types of things. But when we started to look at how it was positioned, we started to ask, well, what is the thing that a lot of speakers really want, right? Well, it's usually get more speaking gigs and more opportunities. Mm-hmm. So we repositioned this as an accelerator that ended with a showcase in the same way that if you were doing, if you were going through an accelerator in a tech company, you would then have a demo day where you presented your business to a bunch of investors who then would give you feedback or possibly invest in your thing. So we repositioned this offer as not, okay, go through this process and you'll be a better speaker, but go through this process. And at the end, you'll be able to do your talks in front of a bunch of agents, managers, people who write for different publications that can actually see your talks in your presentation so that you can start to develop those relationships. And as a result, that person was able to charge significantly more for that offer because it had a completely different value proposition
1: absolutely awesome and and i'm i'm assuming too it had a slightly different um like the setup was different it was like you're going after an audience going hey here media <laughs> we want to put these pictures yep. in front of you and the media is going hey this is awesome because it fits them too so it it ends up being a perfect fit all around even though it may be A little bit more work to restructure kind of who the audience is and all that kind of fun stuff.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Nice. I love that.
1: So (laughs) give us some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having right now and thinking, oh, my God, Michael, I need you so badly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Some of the stumbling. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the time what ends up happening is they get kind of stuck in the middle. Right. So they're no longer a beginner. And they're seeing all of these other people who are attaining this like high level of notoriety. And they're having this moment where they're like, wait a second, I'm like way more researched than them. I've done way work than them why are they getting all the interviews and all of the opportunities and all these different types of things and it's usually because uh, unfortunately a lot of the mediocre experts have extraordinary marketing and a lot of the extraordinary (laughs) experts have mediocre marketing right Uh, Mm -hmm. and they haven't really ever taken the time to do this packaging So I think the big stumbling block, the thing I see probably more than anything else, is that this aspect of working on this element of their business is the thing that they put to the side. They spend all their time working with their clients. They spend all their time sort of helping everybody else, but they never sit down and say, how am I presenting this? Like, what is my big idea? What is the way that I want to show up? you know, in the world, in this thought leadership category. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing that I see is that aspect of they, they put it to the side thinking they'll work on it later. And unless you really make a concerted effort to work on it, you're you're probably never going to do it.
1: Absolutely. And i concurring. You see it so often that somebody that has like the most seemingly simplistic idea and they're rocking it and you're like, Okay. I'm missing the boat somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're missing the boat peeps, you need to get all the Michael. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you?
0: Sure, sure. Um, so if they're curious about their own referability, they can just go to myreferabilityrater.com. Uh And you can basically take a test, it'll give you a it'll give you a breakdown of sort of where you are on this referability scale. Um, and then you can chat with me about your score, you know, I'm, uh, I'm all over the place in terms of uh, in terms of social, you can find me at the LinkedIn, you can find me on the book of faces, you know, um, all of those, all, all of those fun places, uh, you know, happy to happy to chat and, be helpful wherever I can.
1: That's awesome. The book of faces. <laughs> so <laughs> so my God, I have to ask you at what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I would say probably uh, it was probably when I left teaching, <laughs> It was probably, <laughs> you know, when I stepped away from teaching and, and had that moment of like, Oh, wait a second. I uh, no longer have a steady paycheck <laughs> coming in. <laughs> I gotta figure, you know, I gotta figure this thing out. Uh, and yeah, that was totally what it was. It was just, I think that's what entrepreneurs do. We 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 see what the situation is and we we figure it out.
1: <laughs> nice, I love it. And give us an uh, story if you have one of a mistake that you made that was pretty funny as an entrepreneur.
0: A mistake, a mistake that I made that was pretty funny. Oh, that's interesting. Because usually when you have a a mistake, you're like, "Oh man, that I'm was not hurt. That, that was like- <laughs> awful." I don't you know, scare people. Um,
1: the, the pain. We all know the pain of entrepreneurship, yeah. but you know, every um, once in a while, we just need the uplift.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say, like when I first started, um, you know the the workshop sort of aspect of things was all the rage Um, and it was like the in-person workshop, right. Where you, you know, you rented a room and like people came and I was very, very early on. Like I hadn't really done, you know, very much, you know, very much at all. And I, I distinctly remember thinking that I had the best idea for a workshop and I was like, this is brilliant everybody's going to want to buy this. Um, this was before I learned anything about, you know, basically having a conversation with your market, <laughs> <Like> co-creating <laughs> with your market. Um, and, and I was like, this is genius. And what it was, was I was offering a workshop, teaching people how to teach. And I was like, you know, most of you are, you know, most of you know, um, what you're you're good at but how do you know how to teach it like do you and i was going to like actually break down like the ways that i have an education degree so i was going to break down like the ways to teach it and the ways to think about it um and it was far too meta for, for people to so, <laughs> like,
1: nah, so, so i remember like
0: thinking oh this is going to be awesome and sending it out there and and basically Aww. like nobody bought uh i um i i remember just like i rented the room i sort of went through that whole process <laughs> nobody bought <laughs> <Nothing. Aww. laughs> me alone uh in a, you know in a uh in a rented room working on my next idea so
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> and, and i think we all as speakers have gone through that experience <laughs> well at least the ones that started before the pandemic that was you know, go and put your money out front and go, say what? <laughs> the yeah. Crickets come out. Oh, all good, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it immensely. I know how valuable it is. Any last word for our peeps?
0: Um, the one thing that I always like to say is that the keys to all the doors you need open are in other people's pockets. Um, you know, get to know folks, get to, get, get to meet other, other people, have those conversations. Anything that you're struggling with right now, somebody else has figured it out. So don't be afraid to reach out to people and have conversations uh, about those things that you're struggling with.
1: Love it. Awesome. Thank, you. Thank Thanks, you. This is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you're looking to scale and automate your business, reach out to me at Michelle michelle.awarenessstrategies.com at or connect with me on LinkedIn or at the Book of Faces. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.